This morning, our scripture reading comes from Judges um, 17, 6 through 13, and chapter 21, 15 through 25. You can actually find this in your pew Bibles on page 183 and 187. Um, So again, the reading that we have is from Judges, um, chapter 17, verse 6 first. Judges 17, verse 6. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, where are you from? I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I am looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, Live with me and be my father and priest, and I will give you ten shekels a year, of, ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man was to him like one of his sons. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since this Levite has become my priest. Our second passage is from Judges 21, verse 15 through 25, and can be found on page 187. Judges 21, verse 15. The people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a gap in the tribes of Israel. And the elders of the assembly said, With the women of Benjamin destroyed, how shall we provide wives for the men who are left? The Benjamite survivors must have heirs, they said, so that the tribe of Israel will not be wiped out. We can't give them our daughters as wives since we Israelites have taken this oath. Cursed be anyone who gives a wife to a Benjamite. But look, there is an annual festival of the Lord in Shiloh, to the north of Bethel and east of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem and to the south of Lebanon. So they instructed the Benjamites, saying, Go and hide in the vineyards and watch. Watch the girls of Shiloh come out and join in the dancing, then rush from the vineyards, and each of you seize a wife from the girls of Shiloh, and go to the land of Benjamin. When their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, Do us a kindness by helping them, because we did not get wives for them during the war, and you are innocent, since you did not give your daughters to them. So that is what the Benjamites did. When the girls were dancing, each man caught one and carried her off to be his wife. Then they returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and settled in them. At that time, the Israelites left that place and went home to their tribes and clans, each to his own inheritance. And in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as he saw fit. May God bless the reading of his word. It's hard on first reading to follow what's going on here because I gave the scripture reader uh, two distinct parts of scripture. And maybe it's better if you can't follow what's going on because the second part is really offensive. You've got to say that the the second part of this reading is the got to be the most offensive thing in scripture. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at, I'm going to skim over four chapters. And I thought about but decided you didn't really want to hear Emily read entire four chapters. So what I'll do is I'll summarize what was going on in the course of those chapters. 
But it's not that unfamiliar. The kind of thing it talks about is not that unfamiliar to us. The text, if you got the hint from the second passage, talks about sexual exploitation and corruption. Uh, and worst forms of it are in the text. It talks about religious corruption. It talks about spiritual corruption. Uh, and it talks about uh, political corruption in these four chapters. Now, this should not be unfamiliar to us. If you pay attention to the news, you would have seen this week the incredible story that a leading university, familiar to all of us, has recently passed a regulation that middle-aged professors can no longer have sex with undergraduate students. We need a regulation for that? And this is the first we've thought about it? You may have heard about the other famous campus in New England that, that this last week or two passed a regulation that no hard liquor will be allowed on campus anymore because young adults and hard liquor lead to poor decisions and violent behavior. Or maybe you heard about the university in Florida that had a sexual assault accusation against one of the leading football players and the local police investigated it. And accusations are that they swept it under the rug because they wanted their football team to win the national championship. If you haven't heard of those stories, you could not have possibly missed all the stories coming out about Bill Cosby. Not proven. But 35 women, it's kind of hard to suppose that they all lied. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that we had scandal in the White House. We have the military putting through new regulations to try and protect the women who serve. Um, thinking of shifting from sexual harassment or violence to political corruption. Uh, there's, uh, we have Massachusetts, famous Massachusetts politicians now serving time in federal prison for corruption. But this week... I wrote my first letter, no, my second letter, my second letter ever to a Massachusetts politician because Time Magazine published an article saying that this politician who makes a great political statement out of, of uh, rewriting the wrongs in our tax code and standing for the middle class and, and uh, taxing corporations the way they deserve, that this politician, according to Time Magazine, recently put through some tax breaks for Massachusetts corporations. And I just wrote an email to the office and I said, is this article true? And I put a link. I haven't heard back yet. We'll watch. But you know, it's not just that politician. The, the, the hope was that that politician would not do this because basically everybody does it. You know, it, to run for office, local office, you know, state congress can cost one to three million dollars. To run for federal Congress can cost 10 to 30 million dollars. How do you raise that money? You know, we do have legislated corruption in this country, political corruption in this country. Um, Time Magazine wrote another article attacking Standards and Poor. Oh, no, no, no. Attacking the entire uh, economic political system in, in America over the Standard and Poor uh, fine. Standards and Poor was uh, recently fined 1.3 billion, 1.37 billion dollars for their 
um, the, the reports that they wrote up, which led to the financial crisis. While they knew the reports were false, while internally some employees, some executives, were sending emails to other executives saying, hopefully we can cash out or retire before this house of cards falls apart. We have political corruption. We have what the Bible would consider religious corruption. You know, I've used this illustration before, but it's part of American history from the beginning of time. You know, Benjamin Franklin had a friend who, who wanted to start his own religion and asked Ben to join. And Franklin said, well, sure, as long as I can put a couple of my doctrines in there. And the friend wanted it to be pure and said, no, only my doctrines. And so Benjamin Franklin said, never mind. If I want to start one, I will, but you can go ahead and start your own. Now, Scripture would call this uh, religious corruption. We'll look in the past. Or, you know, uh, Concord is famous, right? Ralph Waldo Emerson. The 19th century transcendentalists basically started their own religion. This is the kind of thing that the Scripture talks about here. Or, you know, I mentioned uh, there's a sociologist who wrote Habits of the Heart was his research project. Habits of the Heart. And in there he describes Sheila. Sheila who devised her own religion. She had been in an evangelical church and decided she didn't like some doctrines. She wanted to keep other doctrines and add new ones. So she divides her own religion and it's called Sheilaism. And the only uh, unusual feature of that is that she actually named it. Because a great number of people do this. What we see going on in chapter, in, in uh, Joshua, I'm sorry, in Judges 17 to 21, what we see is this. Some extraordinary political corruption, some extraordinary uh, religious corruption, and we see sexual violence all within the course of four chapters among God's people. And the text is quite frank about it. It, it doesn't pass judgment on it because it, the author doesn't feel the need to. He, he describes it and assumes that you as the reader won't say, how could the Bible endorse this? How could the Bible condone it? He's not condoning it. He holds a light, he shines a bright light on it and says, basically what he's prompting us to ask is, how can God's people be like this? How can they do these things? So let me talk you through the passage. But first I want to tell you where it sits in what we've been looking at. We've been, if you're not here every week, we have a series going on this whole uh, year about the flow of history throughout the Old Testament. The flow of the Bible teaching. What's going on throughout Scripture? And basically we saw that the creation was beautiful, idyllic. The fall corrupted creation and God is rebuilding, reconstituting, restoring creation. And he does so through three promises. And we've looked at the promise that Abraham and his children would have many descendants. And they'd spread throughout the world. We looked at that and saw that in Genesis. Then we looked at the promise of land. That God would give them a place to call their own. They're no longer in the Garden of Eden, but they'd have a place to call their own. A land of their own. And we saw that particularly in Exodus. And in Numbers. And in Joshua. And the intervening books were about something else. We won't look at them today. They're not relevant to what we're talking about today. But we saw that the land promise is basically fulfilled. In Joshua, they invade the land. And the land is assigned. And they begin to conquer the land. Now, if all it's going to take for God to restore his world is descendants 
and land and nations. Now, we're not going to get to the blessing of the nations until the New Testament. So the question becomes, if they already have the land, the second promise, they have the descendants in Genesis, they have the land by Joshua, we're only one-third the way into the Old Testament. What's the rest of the Old Testament going to be about? They're like, what's the book of Judges and Samuel and Kings and all about? And and if they have the land assigned to them in Joshua, they've invaded the land, the land's been allotted, they're conquering the land, what went wrong? Because Israel will face centuries of conflict after this. They will never really get a secure hold on their land. And why not? And Judges 17 to 21 gives us a big part of the answer to that question. Why did Israel not succeed in the new land? And it points to two reasons. It points to religious corruption and it points to political corruption. Now, we don't have time to read all four chapters, so let me summarize for you the religious corruption, what went on. The first text, the first reading that Emily read to us was about a man named Micah. Now, Micah is a Jew, Israelite. And he lives with his mom, and his mom has a big chunk of change saved up. A lot of money, a lot of silver saved up. So Micah decides, virtuous Israelite that he is, to steal the, mo- the money from his mother. She doesn't know who took it, but she did what often people do in other cultures. She wanted to, if she couldn't find that money, she put a curse on the guy who stole the money. Now, we don't believe in curses so much in America today. We don't practice it. But today in Asia, in Africa, Latin America, in traditional cultures, cursing, this is really, cursing is not saying some nasty words to somebody. Cursing is, say, like, go to hell and actually thinking that you can accomplish that. So the woman puts a curse on her son, not knowing it was her son. He hears her. He's afraid of the curse. So he comes and apologizes and says, look, I stole the money. And he gives it back. Now she, in turn, has to reward the god or gods who got her her money back. So she says, take 20% and now build an idol. Now this is an Israelite son stealing from his Israelite mom and an Israelite mom then paying back the gods for getting her money back, the god or gods, whoever it is, by making an idol. And then Micah, the son, builds this idol. And he says, oh, if I'm going to have an idol, I need a priest. So he gets one of his sons to become a priest. And then they start worshipping this household idol. These are Israelites. Worshipping idols and stealing and cursing and paying back the gods. You know, this kind of thing, if, if, if your parents grew up in Asia and were not Christians, they were folk religionists, they'll understand what this story is about. They'll understand cursing. They'll understand paying back the gods for the favors that the gods have done you, or the spirits have done you. This is how life works in much of the world. It's not how life is supposed to work among God's people. But it's how life works in much of the world. And then the story continues. This Levite comes from the south, headed north, and he passes by Micah's place. And Micah, oh, a Levite. This is a, a Jewish religious worker. And, uh, uh, this is much better than having my son as a priest. I can have a Levite as a priest. He'll be much more powerful. And, and, and my gods will protect me better with this Levite controlling them. So he hires the Levite. 
And the Levite says, sure, I can do that. Well, no, he can't. But yeah, he can. You know, the Bible says no, but he doesn't care about that. So the Levite starts to work for Micah. And then there was a tribe in the south, Dan, tribe, the descendants of a man named Dan, patriarch called Dan, and, and they couldn't conquer their land. So they sent some spies north, looking around for other land they couldn't conquer. Where might there be some Canaanites that they could conquer? And as they passed by, they stopped off at Micah's house. And they knew the priest, because they, the Levite, because they'd both been in the south before. And they knew him. And they asked him to bless them. To use his spiritual power to bless them. And he, he blessed them. And then they went on, found a place to conquer. They came back home to get more men. And then they brought the army north. And the army stops off at Micah's house, because Micah... He's got this idol, spiritual power. He's got this Levite, this priest. And so they go by Micah's house and they steal the idol. And they give a promotion to the priest. They say, look, come be our priest. We're bigger. We're more people. We'll pay you more. And so they steal an idol from an Israelite who shouldn't have an idol. They are Israelites who steal the idol and they steal the priest and they head north. And they conquer the area. And now they have a, a cult center, a worship center up in the north where they're not supposed to have one. This is the people of God. And since the author has told us one story about a Levite, a Levite moving from the south to the north, now he pairs it with another story about a Levite, a different Levite. This Levite's going from the north down south. The, north, the Levite from the north went down south and he found a concubine to marry. Married her, and, oh, no, not to marry. He found a concubine and then paid the father for it. And then, and then they lived together up north. And then the concubine had affairs. Didn't like the guy anyway, so she runs off home. So like any romantic, he runs off to follow her and get her back. And the father was happy to see him, and the concubine was happy to see them. And they have a party one day, or they have a party another day, they have a party another day, they have a party another day. And finally the guy says, look, i got to go home, no more parties. And he takes his concubine, and they head north. Now he needs a place to stay, it's a long journey. And he doesn't want to stay in Canaanite territory, because you can't trust those Canaanites. You don't know what they might do to you. So they press on until they get to an Israelite settlement in Gibeah. And then he goes to the town square looking for a place to stay. Because that's where you find somebody who will give you hospitality because hospitality is demand in the Old Testament. He goes to the town square looking for somebody to take him in. And find, nobody takes him in. None of the locals. Finally, there was somebody from Ephraim, from his town up north. There was somebody that must have recognized the accents or the clothes and invited him into the house. And so he spends the night. He and his concubine go to the house to spend the night with the Ephraimite. Then men come and knock on the door and say, hey, we want this guy. We, we want to have sex with this guy. Men in the town came in. Now you remember this story, right? Only you remember the wrong version of it, probably. Because this is what Sodom did. The despicable Sodomites. This is what the most despicable people in the early Old Testament did. In Lot's day. And now here's the Israelites doing this thing. And the Levite, oh, the, sorry, the homeowner says, no, 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 you can't have my guest. That would be a vital breach of hospitality. Yeah. So he says, instead, take my virgin daughter 
and the concubine. You can have them instead. Now, he didn't mean it. Remember the Sodom story? The homeowners don't mean it. They're trying to shame the locals. How, you're not, how can you? No one would ever give their daughter. I mean, nobody. They're not, not going to do this. He's trying to shame them. And they're supposed to go away insulted that somebody would treat them so rudely. But instead, the Levite then takes his concubine, pushes her outside, and closes the door. When they're through with her, she crawls back to the doorstep and dies. The next morning, he slept that night. The next morning, the Levite gets up and opens the door and finds her dead. So he takes her home. He dismembers her. Cuts her up into 12 pieces, because there's 12 tribes in Judah. And he sends one piece to each of the tribes. The tribes get this thing in the mail. And, they, and they're speechless. Well, not exactly speechless. They contact each other and say, look, let's have an assembly, a national assembly. Let's get to the bottom of this. And they have the national assembly, and the Levite comes and tells them what happened. And they, as, as one, they say, such a thing has never been done. This cannot be allowed. And so they say to the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeah is in Benjamin, they say to the tribe of Benjamin, give us these people, we're going to kill them all. And Benjamin says, no, there are people, you can't kill them. So all of Israel goes to war against Benjamin. And slaughters every Benjamite, Benjamite they can find. Every man, every woman, every child. Kills all the cattle, burns all the cities. This is what Israel was supposed to do to the Canaanites. Now the Israelites are doing it to the Benjamites. 600 Benjamites, soldiers, men, ran away. They were able to escape. Then when things calmed down, the Israelites said, well, now, now we've just wiped out a whole tribe. There's only 11 left now. We worked up a whole tribe. We can't let this happen. So they called the 600 back. And they said, look, we can't give you our wives, our, our daughters. We can't give you our daughters because we've, we told God we wouldn't give you our daughters. We put a curse on us, anyone who give you their daughters. So we can't give you our daughters. But here's what you can do. We'll stand by and let you kidnap other women. And they said, when we called the nation to war, there was one city that didn't go to war. Go, take, their, take that city. Kill the men, kill the women that are married, kill the children, keep only the single women. They can be your wives. So all of Israel encouraged the Benjamites to go kidnap women. And so they did, but they weren't enough. So then the leaders of Israel said, well, you know what? There's going to be a religious conference soon. Religious conference. And as part of the religious conference, at some point, Saturday night, you know, with campfire, all the women, all the single women are going to go off and dance on their own. So you just lay there and wait and grab those women. Now, the one thing we can say, at least, at least the Bible is honest. But what do, you, 
what, do you, what redeeming value is there? What, what's the point of this whole thing? And it comes down to the reason I had Emily read one piece from the beginning is one piece from the end is because the piece from the beginning begins with this line. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the last bit ends with this line. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't follow the law. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They didn't follow the word of God. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. By the way, where the slide says Joshua, I just realized I should have said judges. My bad. What's going on? Judges chapter 2, verse 11. Here's God's verdict on their own eyes. Judges chapter 2, verse 11. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 7. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 12. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 4, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 10, verse 6. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 13, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 17, verse 6. They did what was right in their own eyes. Chapter 21, verse 25. They did what was right in their own eyes. The message of Judges, this whole book of Judges, the message is this. God's people turned their backs on God's law. And they did what was right in their own eyes. And this is what happens when God's people, even God's people, God's chosen people, turn their backs on the law of God and do what's right in their own eyes. This is what happens. Sexual violence, religious corruption, political corruption. Judges, the whole book of Judges drives home this point. There is nothing that is good in the heart of man, but only unrequited, unimaginable evil. What we need is a king to rule our hearts, to transform our lives. The author of Judges hoped that that king would be Saul or hoped that that king would be David or hoped that that king would be Solomon. We know that that king can only be Jesus. He comes not only to die for our sin, but he comes to transform us so that we will turn from sin and honor and worship him. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray for ourselves and our church and the church in America and the church that owns your name around the world that we might find in Jesus the solution to the darkness of the hearts of Israel. 
that we might find not only forgiveness for our sins, but transformation of our hearts, that we would never live this way, and that we might help recover those who've fallen victims to this sort of thing. We ask for your grace to be at work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.